Hello, my friends. Today I talked to you about Greta Thunberg, and uh, she's coming to Alberta, which is pretty exciting. Um, hey, I got a question. Is that something that Jason Kenney's Oil Sands War Room should take on? Well, you bet it is. I have a couple ideas on that. But before I do, can I invite you to become a premium subscriber? In addition to the podcast, you get the video version of the podcast. We show you all sorts of footage. And you get access to Sheila Gunn Reed's show and David Menzies show. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com, premium.rebelnews.com. Uh, it's eight bucks a month. What a bargain. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a foreign anti-oil activist named Greta Thunberg is coming to Canada during the final days of the election campaign. Who's paying her? It's October 16, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You remember Greta Thunberg, right? She's the 16-year-old girl from Sweden who has become a global sensation amongst the fancy people because of her gripping emotional rants against global warming. I've come to the conclusion personally that Greta is not acting like, say, David Suzuki and his daughter is. I have come to the conclusion that she is genuinely terrified. And it's either the cause or the effect of her mental illness, a mental illness that she herself describes here. So when I was 11, I became ill. I fell into depression. I stopped talking and I stopped eating. In two months, I lost about 10 kilos of weight. Later on, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, OCD and selective mutism. So, for example, when Greta was at the United Nations and she practically burst into tears, that wasn't acting. It was her true psychological condition, her depression, her selective mutism, her OCD, all her Asperger's, all the things that she lists. She's been whipped up by her handlers. And there she is, the young girl who was suicidal. She just let it all out. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Did you hear the woo? Woo! Who's the freak? Who's cheering that breakdown? I would actually agree with some of the words she said. How dare you put her on a tour like a circus freak show? How dare you? 
do this to her when she's supposed to be in school? How dare you drag her around the world on the other side of the ocean? I agree with that. Uh, it, it doesn't quite make sense for her to blame others, though, when she claims that the whole school strike thing she started was her idea, that there's no point in even going to school since we're all going to die very soon. And it's a bit odd complaining about where she is, given that she sailed across the ocean on a state-of-the-art carbon fiber yacht and tweeted the whole journey. But I don't think she's making those life decisions. Sixteen-year-olds uh, can be celebrities. I think of child actors or child pop stars. They invariably are abused, either psychologically or physically or both. And even if they're not molested, their childhood is stolen, and certainly their money is, by handlers behind the scenes. I blame radical left-wing groups like Antifa, the left-wing street gangs. Here's Greta wearing their shirt. But of course, I mainly blame her parents, who are showboats and celebrities in their own right, and at the very least are getting some PR out of their daughter, and we don't know how much money. Here's her show business mum. Nu ska jag ner och handla lite mat Det är inget konstigt alls Nej, nej, nej Och det är inte en massa assistenter Och sådant som folk kanske tror Nej, nej, bara jag Och mina dansare Jag handlar precis som vanligt Folk gör Mm, och tacos Och pizza Och jag har ingen rysk kaviar här Inte som folk kanske tror Nej, nej, nej yeah, <laughs> that's Greta's mom. Holy mackerel. So the other day, Greta tweeted that she's coming to Alberta, except that, of course, she doesn't write her own tweets. Her PR management team does. Heading north again now follows a few days of well-needed rest while enjoying the spectacular nature of Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. Then on to Alberta, Canada. Slow travel. She's so produced... But at the same time, so authentic, she's ill. I showed you before what Greta is like when she's not scripted. She freezes up, like you'd expect a stressed Asperger's OCD selective mutist teenager to do under stress. Remember this clip? What kind of message would you send by doing this to world leaders? And also kind of ask you, um, do you think it's about time that um, uh, President Trump would respond to what you have uh, said today? Um, I think... I'm sorry, what was the first question? <laughs> What's the message you would like to yeah. send to our leaders yeah. by doing what you are doing? I think what we want to send is, the message we want to send is to say that we have had enough. And uh, anyone else wants to ask another question? I can't speak on behalf of everyone. That's sort of the most basic question imaginable. She just without a script, doesn't know what to say. Look, her PR value isn't her scientific knowledge or her life experience. It's her authenticity. She's not acting. She genuinely has Asperger's. She's terrified to the point of suicidal thoughts. She lost a quarter of her body weight. She was in a deep depression, and it spreads. Listen to this young girl in Australia mimicking Greta's end-of-the-world insanity. I just don't know if they're going to do anything. And I just... 
I'm so concerned with the fact that if they're not going to change anything, then what's going to happen to humankind? What's going to happen to our... What's going to happen to the whole world if, if no one does anything? That is absolute 100% child abuse. Whoever did that to that girl is a child abuser. Anyways, Greta is coming to Alberta. Why Alberta? Well, of course, because of the oil sands. Why now? Well, of course, because we have an election on Monday, and the parties on the left want to scare people about global warming, and they hope to blunt the chances of the conservatives. Of course, Andrew Scheer's very first policy sellout as leader was on global warming. He immediately whipped all his MPs, including those from Alberta, to vote in favor of the UN's global warming scheme, throwing away two decades of principled opposition. He literally caved in live on TV to some fairly gentle questions from the media party. Remember this? I'm just asking, because you know, you're, this is the big issue because it ties in with pipelines, as you said. The, the former Harper regulations would not come close to meeting this, the targets that the Harper government set, and you, you want to keep those. Will you unveil a plan that will actually meet the Paris targets? Of course I will un, uh, unveil a plan that reaches the targets that, that we have already voted in favor of. We, we, we believe that Canada has to be part of the solution. We want okay. to have, we will, we will have a, right. a meaningful plan to reduce emissions. So yeah. Um, Greta's coming to Alberta to promote uh, the global warming threat. Uh, that isn't actually contrary to Andrew Scheer's own platform, who believes in the global warming threat himself, but no one actually takes Andrew Scheer seriously, no one on the left anyways. He undermined his moral authority, demoralized his base by saying the lines of the left, and for nothing, I can assure you, Greta is not coming here to praise Andrew Scheer, but rather to bury him. And even Alberta's mayors who amongst them have 100,000 unemployed men and women in their cities in the oil patch, they were actually welcoming this PR wrecking ball. Here's Edmonton Socialist Mayor Don Iverson. Hi, Greta. Hey, I love you. Hey, notice me. I'm over here. You're visiting Alberta. I'd love to invite you to Edmonton City Hall to discuss the Edmonton Declaration and some of the environmentally friendly projects we're working on, changeforclimate.ca. Regardless of where you visit, I wish you nothing but the best. I'm on your side. If you click on that link, that changeforclimate.ca, uh, you see this crazy apocalyptic website. It's the city of Edmonton's own war against its own citizens. The city already declared a climate emergency uh, just a couple months ago. Hey, do you think that's going to impress Greta or her handlers? Do you think it'll persuade them to support the oil sands? Do you think they're yet unpersuaded? Do you think they're open-minded coming to do a fact-finding trip to Alberta and they could genuinely be turned around on the issue? Here's a statement by Calgary's Nahid Nenshi. Mayor Nenshi says uh, Greta Thunberg is very welcome. While we don't know her itinerary or who is organizing her trip here, she is very welcome. We would love to talk about Calgary's climate program and how seriously we're taking climate action. We're always interested in having a dialogue on the intersection of energy and environment as well as highlighting the climate achievements of the Canadian energy sector. Do you think Greta, a 16-year-old high school dropout, is interested in having a dialogue about the intersection of energy and the environment? Look, we know that Nenshi and Iverson are little Trudeaus when it comes to photo ops and selfies. But guys, she's coming to bury you, not to praise you. Do you really think that telling her about your climate emergency declaration is going to make her back off? Now, I've got two points on this. The first is, 
It's the first real test of Jason Kenney's so-called oil sands war room. That's a $30 million a year budget, an organization designed to defend the reputation of the oil sands against exactly this thing, foreign meddlers coming to besmirch it. So what are they going to do? Well, we don't know yet, but this is their first test, isn't it? Today, by coincidence, is exactly the six-month anniversary of the Alberta election that installed Jason Kenney as Premier. They have had plenty of time to think and plan, so what will they do about Greta? Will they hide under their desks? Will they issue some boring press release, put out some vanilla TV ads that will do nothing other than enrich some Toronto ad agencies and some lobbyists? We're about to find out. I'll be candid. I'm not optimistic, but we'll see. The second point I'd like to make touches on the first. Why is a foreign-funded lobbyist, which is exactly what Greta Thunberg is, permitted to come to Canada to campaign on hot election issues in the final days of the election? A foreign lobbyist. It's true that Thunberg was uh, already in Canada once and met with Justin Trudeau and was lukewarm about him. So what? He sure milked the photo op, didn't he? But she's coming back again in the final days of the campaign with an attack focus on the oil sands. Does this meet the definition of a election campaign expense? Well, let me read to you a single sentence from the Elections Canada webpage. Please note that foreign third parties can't spend money or use their resources to influence Canadian elections. Yeah, but she's doing it anyways, so what are you going to do about it? Greta Thunberg is a big money foreign campaign, absolutely designed to influence our election. Not only ought that to be stopped, but that ought to be one of the angles of attack of Kenny's oil sands war room. But, and this is so obvious it almost doesn't need to be said, taking on Greta Thunberg is politically incorrect. She's an abused child, but you can't say that out loud. She's cannon fodder for the left, but she's a, can a human shield. But you can't say that. She's woefully uninformed, but you can't say that. She's mentally ill, and you can say, well, you can't say that, but she can, and she has. She's a puppet, but you can't say that. But you need to say those things to rebut her lies, and more importantly, the lies of the foreign interests that fund her and direct her. I don't think most politicians have that courage. Certainly none in Andrew Shear's party are allowed to. I don't think many in Jason Kenney's provincial party are allowed to either. But that's why this arms-length $30 million war room is there to do and say the things that more polite and more liberal people can't. So will they? Or is that $30 million just patronage and pork conservative style? Well, I do believe we're about to find out. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, I've enjoyed making visits to Alberta quite a lot over the last campaign, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Innisfail, Red Deer, other places. And I'm always talking about Justin Trudeau and the Lebranos, and people ask me, should we vote for the PPC or the CPC? I'm always interested in that sort of thing. But every stop I make, one or more people come up to me and say, I've had it with the whole system. I'm full-blown separatist because we are going to get it worse than ever. I'm hearing that from people, and it's not with glee they say that, it's not with chauvinism they say that, it's with a sense of depression and resignation that the system just screws the West. And so I come to Lauren Gunter's column in today's Edmonton Sun, let me read you the headline. It looks like Screw the West is back in full swing. And joining us now via Skype from Edmonton, 
is Lauren Gunter, senior columnist with the Eminent Sun. Lauren, you're right, and I hear it unprompted everywhere I go in Alberta. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you hear people with a, a deep sense of resignation about it. There is no joy in it. There, there isn't even really a lot of anger. I mean, there is anger, of course, but but there's more of a of a sigh, like, okay, well, we should have seen this coming, but here it is again. Uh, and, and interesting, you, you, you said, you know, you hear it all over. You're also hearing it now uh, in, in 2019 from people you wouldn't have heard it from in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's an awful lot of people I'm hearing from who are very powerful people, mm -hmm. very uh, successful professionals mm -hmm. uh, who really can't be bothered with the uh, the the hustle and bustle, the the hurly burly as it is of of uh, war and battling and things. They, they their lives are pretty good, and mm -hmm. they don't want things disrupted. They tend to be establishment types, mm -hmm. and you're hearing it even from them. I mean, in most revolutions and separation, whether it's in Alberta or Quebec or somewhere else, is a kind of revolution. Mm -hmm. Most revolutions don't come from people in the elite right they come from people in the middle class right. and and people who are otherwise very comfortable and you're starting to hear that more you're so you know what I, I never thought of it that way uh, i think of brexit i think of uh separatism in quebec all the banks all the like you say the establishment they're for the status quo because the status quo suits them just right i mean for um, them very well. wall street uh, very much a status quo kind of place they even made their accommodations with obama and hillary but i know in fact there's some very wealthy very powerful alberta players and a vocal example of this is brett wilson um, I don't think he's quite a billionaire, but he's a centimillionaire. Um, he, he's just had it. He's had it with um, the fact that not, not just that Alberta and the West in general is being undone, but it's, that it's being done so perniciously, whimsically, gleefully. Let me, let me give you one anecdote and I'll throw it right back to you. You know, when Stephen Harper was prime minister, he had a habit, it irritated some Westerners. Whenever he would give a speech or answer a question, he would do it first in French, then in English. Always first in French. And Albertans would say, what are you doing, buddy? And the answer was clear. He was trying to make an effort, trying to show that even though he was an Anglo from Alberta, he still wanted Quebec to be part of his Canada, even if the feeling wasn't reciprocated. We see the exact opposite with Justin Trudeau. He's not making efforts, even though like he could say, all right, Albertans hate me, but I'm still going to do things to show them I don't hate them back. No, no, no. Trudeau is gleefully digging in. I'm certain that he's going to meet with Greta Thunberg one more time, that anti-oil extremist teenager. I'm certain of it. Um, he bashes the oil sands. He talks about phasing out the oil sands. He's demonizing the West in a way that Harper would never dream of doing to Quebec. You know, I think I think. Just quickly on the, the Thunberg thing, Thunberg, um, I think he'd like to meet with her, but I don't think he's going to because she doesn't think there's any politician in the world now who's doing enough. And she'll scold him, which, as she sort of did in New York when they met a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she'll, she'll excoriate him for having not taken the last four years to make huge changes to Canada's life. Um, 
as if a 16-year-old would know that. I mean, I, she's a very, very smart kid. I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. Mm -hmm. But you need a little bit more life experience to go with your intelligence. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the point that I made in the column today is that in the 1980 federal election, that was the one Joe Clark had come in. He'd miscounted how many people were in the House of Commons one night. The liberals very cleverly sabotaged Clark's minority government and forced another election. They coerced, cajoled Trudeau to come back and run one more time as their leader, and he won a majority. But the unofficial slogan inside the liberal war room in 1980, and we know this because there was a, a, a liberal strategist who went on to become a very senior part of the liberal uh, establishment, a guy named John Duffy, who was working there with, with Keith Davey, who was the longtime campaign manager for liberals. And he said their motto inside the war room in 1980 was, screw the West, We'll take the rest. Yeah. They knew they were going to have trouble winning seats in, in, in all of Western Canada, and indeed they did. They didn't win any in B.C., Alberta, or Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. They won only two out of 77 Western seats at that time, mm -hmm. and they knew that. But they knew that going after the oil industry and going after the West would make them popular enough in Quebec in particular, and to mm -hmm. some extent in Ontario and Atlantic Canada, that they could carry those regions and they didn't need Western votes. Mm -hmm. And I think you're starting to see that now. In the, the, in the French leaders' uh, debate last week, they spent about the first half hour talking about the environment. And the BQ were adamant that Alberta, by name, was the problem. Uh, but Trudeau was adamant, too. He just didn't say Alberta. He, he has this passive-aggressive way yeah. of dealing with it. Yeah. But he would never have said the things he said about the oil and gas industry and by implication about Alberta mm -hmm. if it was the hydroelectricity industry mm -hmm. and Quebec. Yeah. He would never say the same. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, I think that's what's going to propel the anger in Alberta if the Liberals win this election. Or, and here's the scenario I think is even more likely. Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives will win the greatest number of seats, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be like it was in 2008 when Harper had a minority, but he had twice as many seats as anybody else. And then the three other parties tried to get together and, and and eradicate the the will of Canadians and overturn the results of the election, and the governor general stopped them. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be very, very close. The liberals are currently in power. They can say by convention in Canada's constitution that uh, we are all in power. We think we can hold the confidence of the House. We don't think the Conservatives can. Uh, Madam Governor General, you, will you give us the chance to form mm -hmm. the government? Mm -hmm. And so you'll have the Liberals in second place forming a government that is decidedly anti-Alberta. And I, I can't predict with accuracy what's going to happen in Alberta if that, if that happens. You're right. I remember in, uh, I think it was 2008, a similar thing was afoot. The Liberals didn't come in first, but they tried to cobble together a coalition with Gilles Duceppe of the Bloc Québécois. And, um, and the NDP and Michael Ignatieff, if I'm remembering my uh, details right. Um, it was appalling. It was disastrous in public opinion. Luckily, it fell apart before they had a chance to pull the trigger on it. But that kind of trickery is absolutely, uh, it would just, it would prove to Albertans that the system is rigged against them.
-hmm. It would be like when the elites in the UK, we mentioned Brexit earlier, when they said, yeah, okay, you voted for breakfast, Brexit, but we know you didn't mean it. Hey, can I, can I mention one more thing? And this is something I've been thinking about with Pierre Trudeau and Justin Trudeau, because you mentioned 1980 and how Trudeau Sr. came up with, screw the West, we'll take the rest. It was about oil back then, too, in large part, mm -hmm. the National Energy Program, all sorts of, Mark Lalonde, the Quebec engineer, the whole thing, basically said it's about stopping the financial center of gravity moving from Quebec right. to Alberta. He said that. Um, they believed in oil and gas. In fact, they nationalized and created Petro-Canada. They wanted oil and gas. They believed in oil and gas. They simply, like good old communists, wanted to take the means of production for themselves and their friends. But they believed, yeah. like the old communists, in smokestacks, in hard hats. They, they, thought, they thought Ottawa would be better at spending the money yeah. than Albertans were. Yeah. And, and so they didn't want to gobble it up. But they were in favor of oil and gas development. That's right. In fact, they talked about national... Uh, self-sufficiency. The difference between Pierre Trudeau, who was simply a communist thief of Alberta oil, and Justin Trudeau, is that Justin Trudeau, or at least the Trudeau that we see talking with Gerald Butts's uh, ventriloquism, is right. Butts's hand in yeah, no oil or gas at all. Move beyond oil. Stop oil. Uh, we need to transition off oil. So at least Pierre Trudeau understood its value. He just wanted to steal the value. Justin Trudeau is frittering away $100 billion so far, and, and it's like he doesn't even realize he's killing it. No, he, they, they, they honestly think there, there's a, a, a great business theorist in the United States in the 70s and 80s, a guy named Peter Drucker, who once said that the United States could not stop making things that his economy required the manufacturing of goods because, and this was his quote, we can't survive by all of us selling insurance to one another. <laughs> yeah. So you couldn't go into the service sector entirely. You had to make things. Yeah. And the same applies in Canada. We, we can't survive as a prosperous nation without developing our natural resources. But the current crew that's in Ottawa now and the NDP and the Greens and the Bloc all seem to think we can all be barista does yeah and that somehow will sustain the economy yeah. or that we they'll, they'll have, have a magic wand that 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 somehow a group of bureaucrats meeting in a committee would know better than the best engineers and scientists the new technology that's going to take over. we we have a, a, a development in edmonton called blatchford which is on the old airport grounds and the city has been in charge of developing itself for the last five years because it wants a net zero carbon hmm. neighborhood with geothermal heating and all sorts of crazy weird green stuff and every time the mayor is asked why this won't work he says well the technology hasn't developed yet but by the time we need it we know it will be there how in heaven's yeah. name can you know it's going to be yeah. that's that's the kind of thinking that's behind this liberal government yeah it's it, alchemy well, it's, it's it's yeah ex exactly exactly yeah. Let's, let's find the philosopher's stone and and everything we touch that's carbon-based will suddenly turn into green-based and we'll all have wonderful high-paying jobs where we only have to work six hours a day but we're going to be able to sustain our our way of life it, it is just such fantastical thinking that you you wonder why adults or how adults can actually fall for that stuff yeah. but somehow they have and and you know it's interesting we get back to Greta Thunberg at at this point because 
her scolding of all these people really does rely on them having this magical thinking that, yeah, yeah you know, she's right. Yeah. If only we'd have wished harder. It's yeah. millenarianism is what it is. Yeah. is that if we, we just wish hard enough, the, the end times will come and we'll all be instantly transformed into, into paradise. Yeah. You know, it's one thing for a 16-year-old um, PR machine yep. to say those things. Mm -hmm. It's, But yep. for Gerald Butts, who is the central hub of this government. It reminds me of the clip uh, we've shown him many times on this show before when he was with the Wild World Wildlife Fund. He was asked about the route of the Northern Gateway Pipeline and he said, no, 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 who cares? We don't need oil at all. Here, here's the clip of that. I know you've seen this before. We think that the oil sands have been expanded too rapidly uh, uh, without a serious plan for environmental remediation in the first place. So that's why we don't think it's up to us to decide whether there should be another, another route for a pipeline. Because um, the real alternative is not an alternative route, it's an alternative economy. Oh, just that, Lauren, we just need a new economy. So just, just put that down, just write that down. New, step one. Uh, get go, new economy. Yeah, get new economy. Step two, we're all rich. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> I I went in 2000 at the millennium, I went to the United Nations to cover the big international millennium festival that they were having. And there was a, a very prominent speaker at one of the sessions who said, what we need to do is transition to the love economy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this isn't <laughs> any more fanciful yeah. than that. Yeah. It really isn't. Holy moly. You know, um, I, I'm worried because you, you say we all have to do something besides sell insurance to each other. At least selling insurance is something useful and valuable and you're organizing. There is, it's a real thing, but yeah. carbon credits and green this and, and at least, I mean, and again, just the same way, well, at least Pierre Trudeau believed in drilling for oil and at least yeah. insurance I think it's a legit thing, but I take your point. You need to make yeah, stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. You need yeah, to make you, stuff, too. You can't sustain an economy simply. I get it. No, no. I mean, I, I, I understand I, you weren't saying that insurance is not a real thing, but there is almost no one in the caucus, especially in, I don't know the caucus. There's no one in the cabinet who's ever done anything with their lives. Almost all of them, I mean, whether it's Catherine McKenna, who was like a UN social justice lawyer, that's what she called herself, or Gerald Butts, who's a de facto cabinet minister, who's just been a, a politician whisperer his whole life mm -hmm. and an environmental activist, or like oh, this whole bevy of, whether it's Mariam Monsef or Bardis Chagger or Navdeep Baines, all these people really, I, I can see their PR value. I can see why they were a, a, a quota or token appointment, but not one of them's actually ever but, done anything. But even Bill Morneau, yeah. who ran uh, you know, one of the largest uh, pension benefits advisories in, in the country, in North America, in fact, doesn't seem to understand economics. Like, I know he inherited it. I know that he's also wealthy because his wife has a lot of inherited wealth. Um, but they don't seem to have understood the source of any of that money either. Like, it, it's not just the people who've had no private sector experience at all. Morneau had lots of private sector experience, but he doesn't seem to have understood the thing he was doing. Yeah. Uh, that That's the really sad part about this. And now you have 
a, almost two generations full of people who have been fed the message in education and in the media that uh, we're destroying the planet, that, that the environment is in crisis, and it's in emergency, it's in dire straits, we must do something now. But without any understanding, I, I wrote another column about 10 days ago that said, here are the things Canada would have to do in order just to get to its Paris Accord uh, commitments, which is a 30% reduction in CO2 below 2005 levels, we would have to stop all oil and gas and shut down all the all vehicles, tractors, semis, cars, pickup trucks, buses, trains, airplanes, boats, all of it would have to go. Including two that's campaign jets. Talking. Yeah, and that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I they mean, don't talk about that. Yeah. they just they talk about it as though the only thing that's stopping us from getting to these marvelous green goals is a lack of societal and political will. Yeah. There is absolutely no possible way yeah. we could get to the goals that they set with the level of engineering that we have now. And even the best minds in the, in the world are not going to find the technology fast enough to meet these farcical standards that, yeah. that have been set for us by these politicians. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, we started by talking about what happens if the liberals win. Um, I think if Trudeau wins a majority, it'll be really bad. But if he wins a minority, and if he patches together a deal with Elizabeth May or Jagmeet Singh, I think it will be absolutely disastrous, especially, as you point out, if he actually himself has fewer seats than, than Andrew Scheer. I don't know what's going to come. Uh, replacing Rachel Notley with Jason Kenney was a good first step, but... Ottawa controls so many of the levers. Yep, absolutely. I see, I see Trudeau just said he doesn't believe in a national energy corridor. You can't foist pipelines on people. Well, constitutionally, actually, you can. Um, you can foist a Trans-Canada Highway on a country to build it. You can foist power lines. It's called eminent domain. You can, actually. But only Alberta's industry doesn't get, a, doesn't get what it needs. La last word to you, Lauren. Yeah, I... I I am hopeful that uh, Andrew Scheer will somehow win enough seats that he gets to form the government and that the people around him will be as clever as the people around uh, Stephen Harper. Because you remember for the first five years that Harper was the prime minister, he never had a majority. Mm -hmm. And yet on every issue, he was able to cobble together enough of a coalition from right. other parties, most of whom couldn't stand him. Right. And yet somehow else he was able to, to win vote after vote after vote. Mm -hmm. Very, very clever. Let's hope that happens. Yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm not keeping my fingers crossed. All right. Well, we'll find out in a few days. Lauren, great to see you. Thanks for taking the time. See you. All right, there you have it. Lauren Gunter, senior columnist with the Edmonton Sun. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about how the federal election could play out. Jan writes, very proud to say I'm a Rebel News enthusiast. We are all proud of you, Ezra, David, Sheila, Keen, and Jessica. Well, thank you. We're not quite done yet. We're, we're sprinting to the finish line. Rob writes, Sheer is giving more money to the French CBC. How is that fighting back at an enemy that is suing you for something that is completely legal? The conservatives are not good fighters when it comes to using the law. Oh, you're so right. When I, when I saw that lawsuit against the conservatives, I was appalled. But even more appalling is that the conservatives actually took their video down. And then Andrew Sheer announced, oh, yeah, we'll give you your money next year. 
if you abuse him harder, does he even give you more things? <laughs> Gary writes, I had to vote with my conscience and vote for the People's Party candidate. I just don't feel that Sheer is a true conservative. He's Trudeau light. Well, that's obviously true on anything from global warming to 350,000 migrants a year. I haven't heard a peep from him about free speech this campaign. In fact, he had police arrest and hang up David Menzies. That said, Trudeau light is better than Trudeau. And I think the only candidate who could stop Trudeau is sheer. That's our show for today. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.